Good afternoon to all of you. Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. We've made it to the final chapter. We've been in this final chapter for uh, several weeks now already, and today our text will be verses 7 and 8. And the title of the message is simply this, Remember Your Leaders and Your Savior. Okay, And that comes right out of the text. Uh, my goal was to actually be able to take up verse 17 as well, where it says, obey your leaders. We're told here in verse 7 to remember your leaders, those who led you, and, uh, but that just did not work out. So we'll be looking at verses 7 and 8. Uh, Kent Hughes says in his commentary, we must sustain ourselves with a double focus, remembering those who have gone before but then also focusing on Jesus Christ, who in our text is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So remembering those who had led us in the past, remember reflecting, uh, considering their lives, imitating their faith, but then considering Christ, the unchanging Christ. Last week I ended the sermon by telling you that little story with Christodom, the early church father, as he stood before the emperor And it went like this. Uh, He was threatened with banishment. It says, uh, he said, Thou canst banish me from this world. It is my father's house. The emperor said, But I will slay thee. Nah, you can't slay me. The noble champion of faith said, My life is hid in Christ and God. The emperor says, I'll take away all your treasures. Nah. But thou canst take my treasure, which is in heaven, and my heart is there. The emperor said, I'll drive you away from man, and you will have no friend left. No, 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 you can't do that. I have a friend in heaven from whom thou canst not separate me. I defy thee, for there is nothing that thou can do to hurt me. You think of heroes of the faith. You think of that kind of boldness. You think of uh, Polycarp. Even just some years before, and Polycarp, of course, if you don't know anything about him, he was actually a disciple of the Apostle John. Probably at this time that I'm about to tell you about, it was about the year 160, he was probably the last living person that actually um, had, had known the Apostle John. And the emperor told him to deny Christ, and he said, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? And if you know the story, they bound him and they burned him at the stake, but the fire would not eat his flesh. So then they started stabbing him, trying to kill him. And this is a kind of confession, profession of faith that he had. You think of John Knox, the great Scottish reformer, standing up to Queen Mary and defying her. You think of the great missionaries, the missionary movement of the 1800s, William Carey, John Patton, to to go to those savages. You think of even in our own century, Jim Elliott going to Ecuador, those savage Indians. Where do these men get this type of boldness and courage from? Have you forgotten last week's sermon? Look it up in verse 6. Well, first of all, in verse 5, I will never desert you nor will I ever forsake you. We shall confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? 
That's the kind of confidence that we need in the 21st century that we need if we're going to have an impact on a lost and dying world. So let's go ahead and read uh, just verses 7 and 8. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we can come to a sure guide of your holy word, which never changes. We thank you that your truth never changes. We thank you most of all that you never change, Father, Son, and Spirit. Lord, we confess we are fickle, we are mutable, we we're constantly changing even the range of emotions we might have even since this service kicked off. But Lord, you do not change. So impress your truth upon us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So chapters 1 to 12, remember, are setting forth all the glories, all the, 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 the glories that we have as new covenant children, the superiority of Christ to the Levitical priesthood, to angels, and on and on. In chapter 13, it's it's really just rapid-fire commands, just short, boom, 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 like machine gun type of stuff. And he says that do or let love of the brethren continue not to neglect hospitality, to show love to strangers, to, to remember the prisoners. And then that marriage bed is to be held in honor among all, right? Undefiled. And then Make sure that our character is free from the love of money. Being content with what you have. And why is that? Because he said he he will never leave you or forsake you. And so that really just takes us up to the context here. That was the first paragraph, uh, verses 1 to 6. Now as we come to the second paragraph, it goes from 7 to verse 19. And you might think of 7 and 8 and 17 to 19 as bookends, literary bookends, to that middle section of which we'll get to, uh, verses 9 to 16. What God has done and what our response should be. So for today, just these two verses, two verses. I was laboring this text for quite some time. I already have it memorized. I think I have all the 13 memorized, which is a good thing. Read it over and over. Store His Word in your heart. For points today. Remember your leaders, that's a command. Consider their way of life. Imitate their faith. And then we're going to look at the immutability of Christ in verse 8. My purpose is that our faith would be strengthened by remembering those who had gone before us. You know, even church history, heroes that we have, but but also those people that, that formed us and maybe took us under their wing and discipled us as new Christians. We should remember them as well. So first of all, remember your leaders. Reflect on those that led you. Now I think the elders of the church in particular, largely in view here, but let me mark it well, not limited to that and this verse. Um, And so this could refer to a parent, a teacher, someone that has influenced your life, someone that discipled you early on, a former pastor, perhaps in another state. You remember what they've done. Now, in the Greek, this term, these 
that those who led you um, could refer to political office, uh, kings, it could refer to all types of leadership beyond the church. Uh, the word is actually used to describe the disciples of Jesus as well. Um, but these are leaders that are no longer with them. Remember those that led you, past tense, in the past. They had led you. Remember those who led you. Now, this, <clears throat> um, the idea of led you, that it's here, leaders, is the same word that will occur in 17 and in 24. And so, for the first time in the, in the letter, he's mentioning these leaders. And certainly in verse 17 and 24, clearly point to the current leaders that were serving over them now. But for here, he says to remember. What do you think of when you hear the word remember? Well, it's exercising the memory. It's, it's exercising the mind. It's reflecting on. It's pondering over. It's to pay attention to. And, and it's a present imperative, which means keep on remembering these who have led you in the past. Keep remembering them. It's the same word that Jesus uses. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than its master. So the command here to remember might seem a little strange at first. We might expect the author to say, um, you know, encourage the readers to honor, to respect, to greet the leaders, these, this type of thing. But he says, no, to, to remember them. The writer really believes in the importance of heroes of the faith and models of faith. Remember chapter 11? Chapter 11 lists all of those heroes in the hall of faith. And, and what was that? To encourage us with these that have gone before. There's difficulties, there's trials, but these models that have gone before that we might press on. Charles Spurgeon <clears throat> has said... Um, God, God's people are a thoughtful people. If they are what they ought to be, they do a great deal of remembering and considering. And that is the gist of this verse. If they are to remember and consider their earthly leaders, how much more are they to reflect on the great leader, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of those matchless truths that fell from his blessed lips. So remember those who led you, but then what does it say? Who spoke the word to you. Throughout the letter, the profound importance of the word of God is prominent. We see it throughout the letter back in chapter 2 and verse 12, saying, I will proclaim your name to the brethren in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise, the proclamation. Uh, chapter 4, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 2, for indeed, we have the good news preached to us, just as they also, but the word that they heard, that wilderness generation, did not profit them, because it was not united by faith to those that heard. Now, this church was probably planted up to two decades ago. This is not a new church plant. This is a, a church that we believe is Jewish believers, most likely in Rome or on the outskirts of Rome, planted some time ago. And so there are leaders that perhaps have fallen off the scene. There are leaders that likely have been martyred even, but not exclusively mar martyred. And so um, it's likely 
that this refers to that initial proclamation of the Word of God in which the listeners heard the Gospel and they believed. Back in chapter 2, in verse 3, it says, How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was, after it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us by those that heard. And what he's saying there is that there are those that actually were heard um, the word from the Lord Jesus Christ, and then the Lord Jesus Christ equipped certain men that equipped their leaders there. And so the word of God, what a great legacy. This should be the ambition of every pastor, every teacher, every parent, every elder, that there would be a legacy of the word of God. John Piper, when he preached on this many years ago, uh, said um, in his message that some of you may wonder why for 11 years straight at our pastor's conferences that I give a biographical lecture of people in church history. Luther, Calvin, Edwards, Brainerd, Spurgeon, Machen, Lloyd-Jones. It is not because they're interesting, but because God has said, remember those who led you and spoke the word of God to you. And I I commend those lectures to you. They're all available free online. You can learn about these heroes of the faith in about a 50-minute message. <laughs> they're in print form. They're, they're all free, but it's a, a good, it's a good way to stick your toe into the biographical world of learning about the heroes of our faith. So, remember those who led you, those who spoke the word. Secondly, consider their lives. Verse 7b. What are we to learn from them? It's not their ministry techniques, it's not their personalities, but rather both their lives and their death. And as I said, some likely uh, had been martyred. These are men whose present lives were controlled by their confident hope and future blessing. Remember uh, Hebrews 11.1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, right? The conviction of things not seen. And so considering. Considering means to think about again and again. To mull over. It's the, the idea uh, is uh, in classical Greek refers to an earnest contemplation and close examination. An earnest complica- contemplation and a close examination. It's the word that Paul, uh, that Luke uses actually to describe uh, the Apostle Paul when he's in Athens, and he says in Acts, uh, I think that's 17.23, for while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. Remember, they had idols everywhere, and then just in case they missed one, they had one to the unknown God. And Paul says, therefore, what you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The word is, while, while I was passing through and examining the objects of worship, I was considering your objects of worship. I was giving it some deep thought. And he comes up with this brilliant way to, to set forth God as creator to these people. So, remember those that led you spoke the word of God to you and considering the result of their conduct. The result speaks of an endpoint of of some type, an outcome. It's the context of their entire lives. 
Uh, the idea is, is to look at the whole course of their life, especially the end of it, but in, including the whole course, not exclusively how they died. How did they run? How did they persevere? Did they hold fast to the end? Did they get a little wiffle-waffy on certain key doctrines as we see some that begin and run well at first, but, but they begin to start questioning certain doctrines towards the end of their lives? Did they, did they finish well? These are those that not only proclaim the Word of God, but they adorn the Gospel. They love the Gospel, the mysteries of the Gospel, because they so loved Christ. Finishing well should be the earnest desire of every elder and pastor. There are many who start out in the ministry and they burn out, they fizzle out, they they fall in moral compromise, and all number of things, few finish well. And what the writer is saying, remember those that spoke the word to you, considering the result of their conduct, they made it to the end. They finished well. They're worthy of imitating. Imitate that faith in that man. See, it's not enough to be a gifted preacher if your life doesn't exemplify something of what you proclaim. Your family should be in order. Your finances should be in order. You shouldn't be a burden to the church. There should be moral integrity. Your life should be marked by humility and even servanthood and the fear of the Lord. I personally have much peace and encouragement from older pastors that I've been able to get to know over the years. I even made a list of several, um, some that are more distant that I met a few times um, that have encouraged me, Albert N. Martin, R.C. Sproul, John Gershner, Sinclair Ferguson, but also those that were more close in our network of churches and, and, and a whole list here. And, 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 and those should encourage you. Think of those people in your life. Now, what is God, is he pleased only with numbers? I want to give you an example of a man in England in the 1800s that pastored a church for decade after decade after decade after decade. And, and finally, his name was Isaac Hahn. And, and at the close of his ministry, the membership of the church numbered 26 women and seven men, and only four of the men attended regularly. Now, in this age of mega churches and you know all of that and measuring sticks, would we say that was a successful ministry? I would say yes, because he finished well when he died at 88 years old. His parishioners placed a plaque on the wall in the meeting house, and it remains to this day. And it says, "Few ministries, sorry, few ministers so humble were, yet few so much admired, ripened for heaven by grace divine." Like an autumn fruit, he fell. And so this congregation, he was just faithful to this congregation. What Jesus? Whose job is it to build the church? It's not yours, it's not mine, it's Jesus Christ. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. He is the one that will build it in his way, in his timing, and, and, and we can be content. God is not concerned about numbers. He's concerned about faithfulness. Faithfulness to, to the message. Faithfulness to the gospel. Faithfulness with our very lives. And so, he says, considering the result of their conduct, reflecting on their walk, reflecting on their holiness, reflecting on the things in which they said. But then he says at the end, there are a third point, to imitate their faith. 
imitate their faith. You see, we learn by watching their faith and conduct. He had already said back in chapter 6 and verse 12, so that you not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Imitate their faith. You see, it's not that they were perfect, right? It's not that they were sinless, but yet God calls them faithful because the overall tenor of their life that's described their faithfulness. And they're worthy examples of faithfulness and worthy examples to imitate their faith. It's one of the great benefits of pastors' conferences and um, even our Reformed Baptist Network, our association of churches, is to get together often to sharpen one another for fellowship, encouragement, and accountability. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, he actually says it twice in 1 Corinthians, he says in chapter 4, therefore I exhort you, be imitators of me. And I like the way he says it in chapter 11 more, be imitators of me just as I am of Christ, right? And so um, he actually tells the church in Thessalonica, for you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you so that you would follow our example. If you remember that context, they were working with their hands, a tent maker, they weren't a burden unto anybody, and they faithfully proclaimed the word of God. Paul and Timothy there in Thessalonica. Later, Paul would call young pastor Timothy, right, to, to avoid the wicked examples in 2 Timothy chapter 3, but to follow his example. He actually specifically says to imitate my conduct, my, the aim of my life, uh, my faith, my patience, my love, my, my sufferings, to imitate these types of things. Paul set them up as an example, right? As a model, as it were, of how to follow Christ. He says, imitate their faith. There's, there's a solid confidence in, in, in God and in the triune God and in the, in the Word of God. And so their faith is robust, it's strong, it's something that we want to, to imitate. When the missionary John Patton was translating the Scriptures and the South Sea Islanders, he was unable to find a word in the, their vocabulary for the word believing and trusting and having faith. He had no idea of how he would convey that. But one day, one of the um, uh, natives comes running in, running up the steps and plops himself down in Patton's study and flopped in the chair. And he said, it's good, it's so good to rest my whole weight in this chair. And Patton's like, that's it. That's, that's the word. That, that's, that's the idea. Faith is resting your whole weight upon God. And of course, that word went into that translation, which would later lead to so many conversions there. So, verse 7, Remember those that led you and spoke the word to you, considering the result of their lives, and then imitate their faith. And now, lastly, the immutability of the Lord Jesus Christ. Imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It just seems so erupt. Like, like 
how is this really connected? Is it connected to the verse that, that follows? Do not be carried away by various and strange teachings. It's, it's like a bridge verse. It's meant to be abrupt. Their, their faith and what? Imitate their faith in this Jesus Christ, the unchangeable Jesus Christ. Church leaders come and go, but Jesus reigns forever. He is the head of the church. As he says to remember those that led you, but Jesus Christ is abiding. He's the head of the church. He will never leave you or forsake you. So this beautiful Christological confession of faith. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. These truths have already been developed uh, earlier in the book. The pastors and the saints that, that they are thinking of who had formerly led them were now dead, and so they're no longer available for counsel or mentorship, but the Lord Jesus Christ abides forever. He is available to us. This is probably the most famous verse in the entire book of Hebrews. Uh, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The, immu- the uh, immutability of the Lord Jesus Christ is in stark contrast to we humans on this earth. We are so mutable. We are so fickle. We're, we're constantly changing. Everything from our birth to our death demonstrates our our mutability. You think of a newborn baby. There's no, is there wrinkles on a newborn baby? Well, sometimes there are, I guess. <laughs> Nine months in the womb. But, but, you know, it's so smooth, the skin. But then by the time 80, 90 years old, it's all wrinkled up, right? <laughs> kind of wrinkles up. We're changing. We're constantly changing. The verse would remind the hearers that the same Christ that was real at the beginning of their faith, of which their former leaders had taught them, is now seated in heaven and rules from there as our great high priest. Their circumstances might change. As we said, we think persecution was probably heating up, and that's why he's telling they'd formerly had their possessions taken and they joyfully allowed it. But here he's saying, now be content with what you have Persecution was probably heating up. Their circumstances might change, but Jesus Christ does not change. No matter how intense the persecution gets, he can be rested on. Now, the same verses that speak of God the Father in the Old Testament, as far as uh, him not changing, are applied to Jesus Christ. Psalm 102 and verse 27. But you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. Well, that's one of the verses that we looked at in chapter 1 and verse 12. It's quoted. Isaiah 48, 12. Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel, whom I called, I am he, and I am the first, and I am also the last. Well, in Revelation chapter 1, when the Apostle John sees that glorified vision of Christ and <clears throat> falls down at his feet, it's, John says, when I... When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his hand on me saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Glorious picture. So this is applied to Christ. He does not change. Change is one thing we can be sure of in this life. Our relationships are always changing. We move from place to place. Our employment changes. All, everything's always changing. Our health care is changing. Our Political leaders are changing, sometimes for the better, often for the worse. 
Um, <laughs> there's a change all around us. This idea of change is amazing. Even the cells in our body are constantly being repaired and restored, right? Did you know that your skin will actually replace itself within 27 days? But you shed and regrow your outer skin cells about every 27 days. We are always changing, but there is one that never changes. Amen? That hymn, that glorious hymn, Abide in Me, you have abide in me. It says, change and decay in all around I see. But the hymn immediately adds, O thou who changest not, abide with me. All this change all around us. A.W. Tozer noted in one of his books that one of the most popular and current airs is one that springs from the noisy, blustery, religious activity and evangelical circles. And that is the notion that it's time to change the church. In times of change, the church must change with them. No, right? Away from such rubbish. That's why we love Acts 2.42. Just the very basics, right? Getting together for the the Word and the Lord's Supper and prayer and fellowship, how we sharpen one another. We want our worship to be just basic according to the regular principle. We're not going to do stuff to keep up with the little fads. We don't need fog machines. We don't need newfangled this and that. Jeremiah, the Lord says through Jeremiah, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. So, in what ways? Jesus Christ is immutable in regards to His glorious attributes, in regards to His person. We go from weakness to strength, back to weakness to strength, but did you know that He can't improve? That might be a shock to you, but there's no way Jesus Christ can can improve in any way, shape, nor can he get worse. Did you know that, kids? That's something to think about. What do you mean? God can't get better? No, he can't. He's already as best as he's going to be, right? So he can't get better, can't get worse. How about he's unchangeable in how he works in our lives? 1 Corinthians one twenty one. For since the wisdom of God, the The world, through its wisdom, did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles, foolishness. He is powerful to save, and how he saves does not change. His doctrine never changes. The way of salvation never changes. It's, it's always the same. It's, it's like it says in Jude 3, that, that, was that faith that was delivered once and for all to the saints. It doesn't change. There's, there's no such thing as an improved Christianity. And if there was, there's no way that you would be the one that would be smart enough to conceive of such a thing. Charles Spurgeon said, imagine for a moment that the gospel really did shift and change with the times. Let's just say every century the gospel would modify and change somewhat. You know, just think of how heaven would be so disunited 
Because, oh, you're trying to have fellowship with those in the 14th century, and they were saved a little differently than how you're saved in the 21st century. Away with such folly. That's going to be one of the glorious things about heaven. Heaven, a world of love, Jonathan Edwards wrote. I commend that to you. Talks about the sweetness of the fellowship and the worship of the Savior. and It will be bliss like you've never experienced in this life. And I'll tell you, if people are saved in different ways, it's not going to be like that. We will be united. He is absolutely reliable to us. He will never leave us or forsake us, and He is our helper. Well, what do we make of this uh, the same yesterday, today, and forever? I don't, you know, I don't think there's any reason to overcomplicate that at all. Um, yesterday, well, He's the eternal Son of God, right? He always existed. Um, he's the one that created all things and, and time and space took on flesh and came into this world. Um, today, he now sits in heaven as our great high priest interceding for us. And then forever into all eternity, he will come back and establish his everlasting kingdom. He will dwell, reign, we will dwell and reign with him forever. Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, you put that verse with that, the end of verse 5, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. The Lord is my helper. Jesus Christ, the same. This is faith-building stuff. These are truths that should strengthen your faith and encourage your hearts. Well, a couple brief points of application uh, before we turn to the Lord's Supper. Um, we desperately need leaders like this today, that will teach faithfully, that will live faithfully, that can be reflected upon after they have passed off the scene. A challenge for you, read Christian biographies. Get to know the heroes of the faith and how God was pleased to use them. Oftentimes in their utter weakness, God uses them in powerful ways. Why? Because these are men that know, apart from me, you can do nothing. Consider also those that have had an impact on you. If you've been walking with the Lord 20 years, maybe somebody 20 years ago, a friend that has led you to the Lord, um, you know, consider those and, and reflect on their life and then seek to imitate their faith. A church that adequately recalls its godly leaders and considers the outcome of their life and attempts to imitate their faith, will be thriving well. Consider their virtues of those who have gone on and departed. Church leaders come and go, but Christ forever remains the head of His church. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. He is the one that is to be worshipped and praised and adored. He is the one that we will remember His work upon the cross on our behalf as we take the Lord's Supper. But I encourage you, if you're outside of Christ, come and find comfort in Christ. Be, be strengthened by the unchanging Christ. You are so fickle here and there, and, but for those of us that are in Christ, He's set us free from the slavery of sin. He, he's, he's regenerated us. We need to see... Jesus is the only way of salvation, but we must repent of our sins. We must come in faith. Uh, even as uh, Pastor Steve opened the service, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Let's pray.
Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for this great truth today. We thank you for those that have gone before us, O oh Lord. May we reflect and consider them and, and even imitate their faith, but we thank you for the unchangeableness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to live our lives for his glory. Lord, we thank you even now that we can remember Christ through the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. In Jesus' name, amen.